This evening is the third Upasita, third moon of the six moons of the rains retreat in this year, in this year, and we're slowly crawling through the 91st eon, which is supposed to be a very good one, but, but a bit long. This is my 25th rains, and slowly crawling through, 25 buses of this. Yeah, we had the, for a month, we had a meditation retreat, which is kind of nice um, for me. Simple, easy, relaxed, and refreshing. It's kind of things. Uh, meditation you now for me is just more a chance to feel good. I don't really expect to understand anything or. Well, it's just getting a, a good opportunity to feel good. Um, you know, like a, uh, and to be able to kind of establish a sphere, a realm of well-being, to gradually kind of enter that, to catalyze that, to enter it, to dwell in it, to take refuge in it, to have confidence in it, to understand it, to know what it depends upon, um, what it is, and it's not self. Not to get um, kind of obsessed with it or obnoxious about it, conceited about it, or expect everything else to fit into it, but just to be able to um, establish this place of, of well-being, and then um, from that be able to contemplate um, some of the ways in which I managed to put effort into uh, providing for my suffering. <laughs> And leaving the sphere of well-being, you know, kind of thinking myself out of it, uh, worrying myself out of it, uh, craving myself out of it, doubting myself out of it, uh, getting snarled up in particular obsessions and, and concerns and blaming and criticizing and, and putting a certain amount of effort into seemingly dragging myself out of a place of well-being into a maelstrom of dukkha. And then, is this really necessary? Um, Old habits are hard to kick, aren't they? You'll be doing it for a few lifetimes. Um, the 91st eon is moving slowly. You want to keep it going for the 92nd. <laughs> but anyway, over time, when, um, it seems that there's some kind of basic sanity starts to arise, despite one's thinking and one's efforts, and one does eventually begin to give up, uh, creating so much suffering for oneself and for others. It's rather like that, really. It's a matter of finding a place of well-being, having confidence and realizing this is actually, you know, worthwhile and innate, not some contrived thing, but kind of something that's much more innate human quality. And um, studying it and uh, knowing what it is and not getting confused or lost in details. Real, you know, feeling your own truth, feeling your own well-being 
and you know may not be that flash or that fancy, but you know there you are, you've got one, and that's uh, good enough. So then, uh, having some time for this, then we enter into the serious practice and the more intense form of practice. I've been playing around for a month, and they get into the nitty gritty of karma. Um, the daily life of a monastery and the ability we have greater freedom to create um, suffering and uh, or it's more more flexible more more chaotic Uh, we're not sort of held in a so much in a kind of steady form it's much more kind of tumbleweed form of practice and things come coming out of left field things come up from beneath us on top of us Odd times, days, catching us off guard. It's kind of like before we were playing tennis with Mara, and now it's like we're in a kind of um, Mara, like the octopus, a neurotic octopus, going to spasms. And just as you kind of manage to calm one tentacle down, another seven leap up and start thrashing around. You never quite know which one's going to go. So this is something you're really quite agile and alert for. Particularly, as they're all, as they are, they're 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 intriguing. They capture us, even though they're not necessarily delightful. They're very convincing for us. We get concerned. We get caught up. We get impassioned. We get indignant. We get um, crusading. We get um, moralizing. We get obsessive. We get this has got to be this way. This has got to be done. This has not got to be done. It should be this. It should be that. And we get to see some of the the patterns of karma, the fascination with it, the, in, the intensity of it, the incredible magnetism of the karma tendencies. You know, our, um, and you see this like the, um, where we're not really in a place of well-being, rested, easy, cool. We're in some sort of, do it, go it, go for it, make it mode, karma active mode. And there was a, that, that glowing feeling that we do something and we'll make it better. We do something and make things, we're trying to make things better, generally. In, in these situations, anyway, everybody's trying to make it better. Materially, physically, morally, more tranquil, more peaceful, more clear, whatever, more um, efficient, effective. And uh, you know, the, the, one of the lessons we're learning is is how, how do we do that? How does that happen? Is that a good thing or not? Surely it's a good thing to try to make things better. Surely that's good. And yet, how do we do that without getting into these kind of wired up, frantic states or, um, you know, burnt out, fed up, irritable, grumpy, um, obsessed? (laughs) How does that happen to trying to do good? This is the kind of great, you know, mystery one has to solve. Do we just say, well, to hell with it all, don't do anything? No, it doesn't seem quite right either. It doesn't seem to do it either. Just sinking into a state of indifference. How do we pick up activity without making 
karma out of it. This is the real, like, you know, this is a very powerful kind of practice. And really one needs to be able to find one's place of well-being, come from there, use, lead from that place, lead from the, the well-being, which is endowed with a quality of, of, of there's an effortlessness about it. It's not cramped, it's abundant, it's, it's playful. It's, um, it's, it has a light in it. So leading from one's place of just doing things for the well-being, the sense of that which is good, that which is lovely, that which is well-being in it. And really staying in touch with that, that inner feeling quality, that inner tone. Because it's quite possible to be doing the right things with the wrong mind state or the wrong heart state. It's not the things are wrong, but the way of holding them is wrong. Uh, so, and it's also, but it is possible to do these same things from a different place, from a place of of, um, of goodness, of well-being. So you can't just judge it from the outside. You know what activity is, what you know, what meditation is, what um, non-doing is. You know there can be the non-doing, which is just like an effortless radiance that, of, 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 in, of intention, and you're just kind of following that. It doesn't seem that you're really doing anything. Any more than breathing in and out is doing something, or um, you know, digesting food is doing anything. It just seems to come through. But then we can also make a tremendous amount of feeling we're doing a lot out of meditating. It can seem like really hard work when, to an outsider, you're just sitting there doing nothing, breathing in and out. Um, you say, you know, be aware of it, follow it, get in touch with it, and yet that, you know. Quality which should be, you know, aimed at something that's just really very still and just tuning in, it can seem like an incredible project where one gets tired, worn out, um, you know, overworked from it. So it's how the, it's the holding of these things, isn't it? The way where these things, how these things are held that make them into either tremendously, you know, heavy activities with a lot of karma in them. Or things that are just kind of light and empty and easy. So I just kind of like I consider the way, you know, my own meditation practice changed over 25 years from being incredibly hard work. Slogging away into something where one is kind of just maybe adjusting a little bit here, opening a little bit there. And things like that, releasing a little bit there, balancing there. You know, not occasionally you have to kind of get down to something a little more vigorous, but much more just tuning in and following that. So this is karma forces, and we can see how they can affect meditation and monastic life, and how they're very uh, powerful for us, very convincing for us is that they're charged, they're marked with passion, and passion is conviction for an ordinary mind. So, you, you consider, you know, it's like 
often have, you know, like reviewing the monastery and you're finding mm. it's from one person to another, one person saying, oh, there's so much to do here, so much to do here. working all the time, never get a break. Another person, seemingly, you know, living next door, well, you don't, there's nothing going on here, it's a bit boring. Mm-hmm. What you do? Another person, mm. all this stuff about meditation, I'm fed up with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, why do they do all this meditating? Surely, really, practice is just about working. Mm-hmm. And then, so, all these kind of ideas, such an intellectual complexity. Another person, well, no, you never study anything. So, kind of people are so stupid here. Uh huh. I think we're doing the right thing. You know, providing a place whereby these these mental kind of events can manifest and then to, to witness one's views, one's ideas, one you know what's what's holding them up, the the compa- the passion, the convictions of them. Be able to find out and, and see this is not well being, is it? Is this well being? I mean, can we really that what do we have to understand? Dukkha sukha, well being, suffering. How to to recognise Dukkha and not get confused by the masks it's wearing and the games it's playing. I mean, this is just Dukkha to be fully comprehended, to be fully aware of, to be fully explored in a way. So that there can be a, there can be a letting go, a, a, a loss of fascination with that, a loss of conviction in the script of Dukkha. We're disenchanted with the storylines. Dukkha, we don't follow it, it drops. Mm. Like this. This is enough. This is, of course, you know, you look in the world now, the incredible complexities of everything. Mm. And uh, how these you know, problems and complexities arise that just couldn't have occurred a century ago, 50 years ago. Now this century, where the last hundred years, or well, since twentieth century particularly, the very much the complete conquest of, of nature by humanity. Whereas, you know, for most of that history, it's always been desperate struggle against the forces of nature, against weather and storms and animals and diseases and things. Still, there's you know there's diseases and storms, but Primarily, you know, the, the sense of the human beings now kind of managed to wipe out most of uh, you know, a lot, a tremendous amount of species. And you've got kind of little fee- few feeble kind of pockets of creatures still left around, both with cockroaches and ants. And anything bigger than that is on, kind of on the threatened list. <laughs> As you're a cat or a dog or something like that, or a pig. <laughs> you know, so you get a kind of Turn around. So now you have to kind of think: How do we preserve things rather than how do we kind of defend ourselves and stuff? How do we preserve wilderness rather than how do we conquer it and try and find some land to farm? How do we actually manage to look up, preserve some bits of good old desert, barren wasteland, you know, some ice caps? Whereas, you know, 200 years ago, it didn't make sense, you know, preserve these things. Now, kind of complexities that arise over the human karma and all of it aimed at making things better as a general thing 
and now you have the kind of computer age and the global age and the internet and all this, so that you have these tremendous connections going on on the planet. And uh, so, of course, as that opens up, then you've got other problems. You've got hackers and viruses and so forth on the on the computer system, whereby this wonderful thing, the kind of internet, just about symbolises the you know the human dilemma. I can't imagine how that thing gets created, how, what intelligence created that whole thing. To me, that is that is amazing. You can actually get the brain power and know-how to establish this thing, this internet and, and emails and all that kind of stuff. It's dazzling. You can just kind of push a button and somebody gets a message in Hawaii or Alaska five sec- two seconds later. You see, pictures of, you send a picture across the planet half a second and back again. Sit over your mobile phone and bounce a message up to a satellite and talk to somebody in, in Fiji. It's incredible. But then, you know, 70% of the internet is given over to pornography. <laughs> Another 25% is just giving over to making money. <laughs> little, there's a little fragment on it about Dharma awakening, like about you know, a quarter of a percent. <laughs> That's just like the human mind. <laughs> it just symbolizes the human you know, you've got this incredibly powerful intelligence and you just use it for totally banal, pointless acts of creating suffering for oneself and others. It seems to symbolise it. Like little point one percent about waking up <laughs> one corner of it. And karma actually is, is the particular patterns of thought and behavior. And um, actually, they discovered that, that the way the nervous system works is that the nervous system is continually making new connections. It's like, rather like an internet in your, in, your, in your own system, in the body. So the, the nerve, each nerve ending throws out thousands of these little dendrons, or something like that. And they connect to other things, you see. So you've got this incredible kind of web going on in your in your noddle or in your whole system of connections. So if you keep you know you think a particular way, eventually you get a little you connect to that. So the way you think and act actually starts to create neural pathways. So you actually, by your own inclinations and intentions, you begin to create you know continual neural pathways in the brain where that associates to that. That equals pleasure. That equals that. That reminds me of this. And these things actually begin to form physical, um, these little physical fibers, microscopic physical fibers. So, see how the manifest world begins to take on the pattern of one's emotions and thoughts. And you, you know, you, you look into the to the glow of the planet and you say that's true isn't it that's what we've got that's what's happening you're shaping up a planet based upon human whatever not too good really you know certainly there's a little places about awakening and holiness and purity and helpfulness and lovingness and and all that there's a lot of stuff that's pretty tacky and mucky and rotten 
and what the basic everybody wants to feel good. It's a simple message behind it. That's what it's all about. But not knowing where that is, we create all this karma, and most of it is pretty messy. Some of it's good, but a lot of it is confused. Some of it's really very nasty. And yet it all comes from wanting to feel good. Perhaps wanting to make other people feel good. Make the world a better place. And you see, in, your own, in one's own mind, and in a community, in a monastery, you've got a microcosm of the same kind of pattern. We want to feel good, we want to make ourselves feel good, we like other people to feel well, um, to, you know, be good monks, good nuns, um, you know, realise truth, whatever. It's the basic thing. Um, a nice place to live, peaceful, helpful, enough room for people to live and stay, good teachings, adequate facilities, that's what we want to do. You know, you keep coming back to that, and yet, well, is it... How does it come around that one that it creates stress and suffering, irritation, feeling left out, you know, blaming others, feeling inadequate, feeling overworked, feeling one isn't getting a fair deal? See those those old neural pathways, that old black magic got me under its spell and we go down the old far, you know the, the, the habits of our, of, our, of our own systems to um, feel bad and to, you know, to not abide in well-being So what, watching how it comes, uh, particularly after retreat, how it comes. The what does it come as? You know, we see there's the not fairness, there's the um, um, the pointlessness. Why do we have to do this? There's the not fairness. How come she's doing that and I'm not? Or he's not doing that and I am. The not fairness, the pointlessness. Um, you know, some of the um, Stupidity, like, oh, plodding away, throwing bricks around. Surely it's something better than this. All the things we can imagine, the the little fantasies. If I was in somewhere else, it would be another way. These kind of things. Of course, it would. But we reckon, you know, just recognizing that that the source of suffering, if one is into Buddha Dharma, is always. The, the beginning and the end of it is in one's, under, in one's own field of, of effects. This is where we can deal with it. Where we can deal with it. See, and primarily, you know, the, 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 the one simple way of looking at the teachings is there's the vipaka, that which has arisen already, that which has happened, and anything that comes through the sense doors is we parker. Any and it's actually all of it is morally neutral. It's just that. And there's the karma, 
which is what we make out of it, and that's morally good and bad. And that's, you know, so that you have this, and then there's what you want to make out of it. And what we make out of it, first of all, is how we interpret it. It's this, and it should be that. It's this, and it was like that. It's this, but it's not like that for her or him. You know, that kind of something, and then refer it to something else. You know? And then what does one refer it to? There's, there's your first karmic pathway. We refer it to something better. You know? So then we, well, it's not as good as suffering. Or, you know, we do it like, is that, is that a kind of neural pathway that we've got into? You know, a karmic habit we've got into. So, okay, you know, banging away in the kitchen, this is not as good as sitting in samadhi. You know, that first ding connection, rather than, hey, this is better than being beaten up in a prison in Tibet. Ooh. <laughs> you know, you know, he could do it that way, couldn't you? I mean, this is true. But so, you know, you see, the, then the one that just happens, if you contemplate that, yeah. and just begin to recognize that there's actually, one doesn't, one thinks that that's something that's really there rather than a subtle choice or a subtle habit that one is actually engaged in. You know, comparing, comparing what's happening now with something that's better than that. And maybe that's a good thing, but could it be a good thing? When is it a good thing when it's a bad thing? Is it a good thing when we think, oh, I, I just did that, and I could do this, which would be better. I could, say, um, be more polite, or kinder, or I could relinquish that, let go of that. Um, so then, good karma which means that one is actually looking where one can bring forth a little bit more. There's chanda, the willingness, the interest, the desire to bring forth what is good, rather than dhanha, which is the desire, the craving, to take something good from somewhere else, situation, you know, which is more like a hunger, rather than a, a desire to get something in, rather than a desire to bring something forth. We're looking at that, those two the good karma and the bad karma. And then there's the ending of karma, which is just, this is this, and it changes. Just like everything else, you know, one is in a place which is stable, it's like this and it changes. And in that place, then we have to contemplate the that, that, that very pattern of thought which has seemed to be me thinking oh, I don't think much of this or I could do that that very thought is really just a, a karmic little karmic charge a little, little bit of karmic current running down a neural pathway it's not actually a self, a person it's a habit or it's an action some good, some not so good. <coughs> and being aware how, when even when with good karma, you know, when good karma giving rise to a more uplifted, pleasant feeling, and the effects of 
how to manage good feeling, you know, feeling good like that. We can then think, why doesn't, why is he, why is she always complaining? Then you feel, you know, you come to a something that's actually just a nice feeling becomes a state, a solid thing that I am, and then in that position we can look at other people. What of her, him, make much effort, try, she's grumpy. Thing like that, and then you know. So how we when we attach to good karma, then we start to, unfortunately, go to another set of of uh, unfortunate habits. So the attachment to the ple- pleasant feeling takes us to excitement, conceit, pride. We're having a good time. Whoopee! It feels good. Everybody should be doing this. Da 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 da. Um, you know, get overexcited with what we're doing. You're fascinated with our work or our speech or pride. We're having a good time. Whoopee! It feels good. Everybody should be doing this. Da 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 da. You know, get overexcited with what we're doing. You're fascinated with our work or our speech or our whatever we're doing and then get carried away with it and then disappointed nobody else is so interested. What's the matter with these people? They're so grumpy. Why doesn't everybody else like digging holes in the ground, bashing bricks around, reading scriptures, whatever it is. You know, a lot of miseries around here. This is Buddhism. This is the real practice. This is Dharma. <laughs> you know, the way it can go on. Or we get conceited, like, oh, you know, I'm really, I see, I'm really where it's at. Uh, so the attachment to the good feeling, even if it's like purity, I'm the purest person here. Why is everybody else as pure as what I am? These kind of things. So, you know, beginning to kind of witness some of this, these things. And sometimes the, the attachment to pleasant feelings is often the most painful experience, really. It's the most humbling, the most you know, difficult one. Because of the, the inflation that occurs, we feel very... I feel that when I, when I get like that, and realise it, I feel most um, embarrassed and foolish. You know, inflated, pig-headed I've got again. Looking down on others or thinking myself so good. So that's that's very difficult to to actually awaken to that. See, oh this is just a habit. Don't now don't start going into all that self flagellation again. Now grow up. It's just a habit. Everybody does it. <laughs> you know, it's like when the sackcloth and ashes out. And then they cause attachment to the unpleasant feeling. Into the Nobody loves me, miserable, hated, you know, but we got, you know, all this kind of stuff. Terrible, suffering, agony, uh, 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 over an unpleasant feeling, even if it's just seemingly, what, well, to an outsider would seem to be kind of minor things. Get kind of problems over points of training or veneer, things like that, we can get upset over. Little things going wrong, 
Can we get angry, fed up, negative? This sometimes is easier to recognise this. Don't know why exactly. But then actually just being able to, uh, you know, to feel simple, to not feel one has got a tremendous amount of karma to work out. It's just These are just habits and pathways. And it's really the practice is about that. One's really right on course with it, right in line with it if we're contemplating these kind of things. I mean, you know, of course, like everybody else, I'd like just to be sitting there totally blissed out with nothing going on. That'd be great. Kind of oblivion, but not quite oblivion. Just enough awakeness to be able to enjoy the oblivion. But it, it, mostly it's really just working with the, the karma formations. Yeah. And how do we do that? Finding, trying to find a place we can trust and rely on that is not just another trip, another attachment. Even meditation really, as I see it, is, is well, the aim of Dharma practice is to create these kind of no, no problem, no issue, places of ease, you know, no big deal. No triumph, no, just, just, you one feels, hey, this is just like being normal. Mm. So we don't get into some thing over it. Feeling well. And we may wonder, well, where's that, you know? As you get pains in the body, irritating thoughts, disturbing emotions. You can, and it's really, uh, feeling well is a matter of focus, actually. This is why it's it's a, it's why why it's it's so subtle actually why there's so much karma created and so much running around created in order to, to feel good is because it's really a matter of focus rather than it's not about sensation it's not about feeling it's not about thought it's not about a physical thing nor is it really about the absence of them it's about a particular it's not about the content so much as the context. Does one have a, 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 a focus that's, you know, can actually, is wide enough, is stable enough to be able to receive the feelings, thoughts, emotions, and so on in a larger perspective? Like the body, you know, we can go to the whole sense of, the, of having a body, just that embodiment experience. And if you notice that, you get, which is you can see that there's all kinds of sensations that run around in that, which are changing. Some are pleasant, quite a lot are unpleasant. And the tendency would be to go to the sensations and, you know, try to shut some out or get away from some, or very much to get involved with that. And there's the, there's the, there's the beginning of calm, is that. Well, if we go to the, just the background sense of, of being a body, of having a body, embodiment, how do we know we have a body? Just that, the presence of body. It's actually a sense of well-being in it. It's subtle. It's quiet. It's not. There's a law to it, there's an order to it, there's a calm to it, there's a steadiness to it, there's a regularity to it, there's a stability to it. There's a presence to it. 
And so often when we look too close, too hard, we, we see, we overlook it. Our search takes us out of that, which is actually, you know, it's a matter of being able to focus. I like being able to see the background rather than get caught in the particular details of the patterns that's so mesmerizing and entrancing. Where the, that's, where the, that's what the karma is is to get into all this momentary particularity of stuff and lose perspective on the basic, you know, nature, if you like. Mind. What is mind? I think it was when I I was 19, when I did a particular um, yoga posture, I think it was standing on my head or something, I found it. Thought, found it, actually, thought stopped. I'd never known that the mind was something other than thought. To me, the mind was always just the thinking, jabbering on and on and on, or trilling or purring, doodling, imagining, remembering. Or, you know, it was some kind of activity. When it was 19, I finally, hey, what's that? Ooh. <laughs> a silent space for a few moments. That was, that was, so that was really interesting for me. You know, actually, t- and then that—that that, even though it was, you know, one didn't sustain it, and you always think, oh yeah, it was some kind of fluke event, like you know, taking acid or something, some kind of thing that happened to you. It was an event, but really, it wasn't an event. It was the stopping of events. It was the non-event. And uh, meditation, like that. I think my first meditation was rather like that. You know, it's like there's all this stuff going on, and just the ability to focus on what, for a moment perhaps, on the, somehow you get beginner's luck perhaps at first, and then something turns around. Who's who's thinking? What's going on? Thinking starts again. You know, just to kind of realize, you, you imagine. Oh, you know, I experienced something. No, it was like you actually stopped the event. The event stopped. And it wasn't particularly through trying to make them stop, stop it, stop it, stop thinking, stop it, stop it, stop it. But just stopping thinking. <laughs> you know, which in some ways sounds the same. It's just the actual quality or the process that took one there was not so much an activity as a particular focus, a particular angling, a particular kind of view that that happened uh, and sometimes these things can be spontaneous uh, but ideally we, as we begin to study the process we can we can learn that there is a path to that there is a path to that stopping um, and it's about sustaining a particular focus yeah, right view yeah. these are events these comes and go about sustaining and taking that so Effort. You know, the effort is the ability to hold that focus and mindfulness. These three factors, right view, right effort, right mindfulness, are the three um, um, three angles, if you like, of the eightfold path. They're the things that really um, keep the thing going, or the under, underpinning features of the eightfold path. The effort is that to, to, to sustain, to maintain, to protect, to, to and to deepen that quality, that vision, that awareness, that kind of view into the stopping, into the, what karma is, 
into good karma, bad karma, the ending of karma. Mindfulness is like the ability to take that very clearly into moment-by-moment things. So it's not just a sort of something that, that happens now and then. Because if it does, one tends to see it as a mystical experience. But it isn't a mystical experience. It's a mystical non-experience. It's like, you know, it's the background. It's the ground of being. With mindfulness, you're actually cultivating a way to, to witness or to feel or to experience how all manifestations arise and fade into that, into that nasty manifestations, embarrassing manifestations, delightful manifestations, sweet little manifestations, big, rough, crude manifestations. And then what it takes to actually stay on track with that so we don't get spin off into repression, doubt, self-criticism, blaming others, da, 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 da. You know, which is the whole storyline of Mara, the octopus. You can always pull one out. I think one very good consideration of just getting that, that basic sense of you know, the, the, the stopping or the, that, that ground of the mind is actually well. You, know, you can't make much more of it than that, really. It's peaceful, it's, it's well, it's okay. Yeah. So it's a place, it's a refuge place. Maybe that's all it is. Maybe that's all that Buddhist practice is. It's just coming to that place of well-being and realising somewhat amazedly, like, well, where have you been? Where else, you, where, where else have you been? What have you been doing? You know? That shock. All you had to do was just basically feel, you know, go to that. And then review that and contemplate that to understand, don't take a position on this. Don't make a self out of it. Don't take a stand on it. Don't think you've got something. Don't think you're better than anybody else because of this. It's just this. Maybe that's just. Maybe it's like that. That's that in a way is in, that's taxing enough to try to you know within such simplicity when everything in one wants to go to complexities. Every instinct is to make something out of it rather than to just hold it. Mm. It's the, with meditation and, and looking at, say, we can develop particular themes and techniques, but we're always trying to bear in mind That the, the aim of this is, 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 is to keep a process, a way going, not to just to kind of get down to a particular thing. And the results are kind of like a, a field, a field, like a whole field, rather than a particular point, you know, so that one can enter in, rest in that, and, and move around in it. It's not some narrow little thing. So with breathing, we're moving from being able to contact the breath to having the breath energy flood the whole 
flood and be aware of that through the whole body. You're opening it right up. Another uh, very standard uh, mode, or called another gate to the deathless, door to the deathless, is Brahma Vihara. This is a very good test or check to make with oneself. How is one's experience of, of metta, karuna mudita upeka? These are the signs of, of basic, of that sanity, of that. The mind is uncramped, abundant, uplifted, um, and expresses itself in those terms towards other beings as to myself, myself and others. I think, oh, I'm okay with others, not good with myself. I'm okay with him and him and him, but not her and not myself. Well, I'm okay with myself, not him and her, but with that one, yeah. I'm just seeing, you know, for most people it's going to be a mottled thing. Strong here, weak here. Ooh, ooh, don't talk about that one. And wonderful there. You know, that kind of thing. And then be able to kind of contemplate that. You know, how one's, how, the, trying to make that into a sphere, something that's smooth and rounded out. And metta, the ability to endow, to bestow, to have a heart that actually endows um, well-wishing to others and to oneself. Not saying other people are good or great or we have to do anything about it, but at least to be able to to have a, a heart and a mind that, that does that or uh, experiences things in that way. And why not? Because to do anything else makes one feel bad. Actually. Now, if we're expressing well-being, doesn't mean we say that every form of behaviour is okay and fine and dandy and that's wonderful. Um, but being able to see, uh, relate to uh, a person or to the basic um, current predicament, at, at, you know, from a place of well-being, and then in that place we can say, well, this behaviour, surely that is not correct. Or how do you see this? Isn't this? Uh, to your to your suffering, isn't this uh, inadequate? Is to, where did this come from? This kind of behaviour thing, but that you know, so the ability to certainly to point to what is weak or fallible or inaccurate or wrong, but but just to be able to get the sense of of seeing, you know, a person and or you know relate to that and then see the behaviour pattern of something as karma, based on ignorance, based on pain, based on compulsion. And that, you know, practicing that with the Brahma Vihara is very, very good because we tend to see a behavior and infer, imagine, you know, the person behind that. We see the behavior and from the behavior we create the person. Uh, and, and often the way, not just from the behavior, but from our interpretation of the behavior, we create the person. I could only do that if I was really out of it. So she, he must be out of it. I couldn't do that if I was really, um, you know, in a bad mood. So he must be in a bad mood. We don't know, actually. Maybe right. But what we can know is that we see behaviour, and then our mind infers certain things. Okay, and then, you know, being able to say, well, how do you see this? Is this correct or incorrect? Rather than going to the, the pathway whereby something, you know, is improper or wrong and we feel, you know, we get into suffering and hurt over that. I'm creating a person out of it. 
ability to in, to regard with that wish to to give well-being to others. To um, Karuna, to understand or to relate to or to recognize you know, the suffering in others and how all beings who are not completely liberated are suffering and their actions are marked by that. Their actions come from confusion, regret, fear, anxiety, um, passions of one kind or another. This is, uh, so, you know, just taking something in and then reflect on it. Um, has a, has a power, has a very powerful effect on, on the mind. It takes me to a place of compassion, which is not s- miserable, but, um, uh, kind of grand. Doesn't, spacious, um, allowing, tolerant. Mudita, the ability to appreciate and enjoy. Mm. The goodness, the fineness, the uh, aspiration, the right effort, the good thought, the good action. And this is something, you know, just to, to look at this one, do we, we, do we actually consciously acknowledge? And I think particularly... In a monastery, we have fairly, nobody's keeping at least basic eight precepts, sometimes a lot more than that, and perhaps carrying all kinds of other things as well, efforts, and who knows what kind of karma carrying. And, you know, so the basic thing is, is goodness. Everybody's doing good. And then people are also on that basic theme of doing good, people are making mistakes, getting it wrong, losing their tempers, and so forth. Make, you know. So, there's both true. And one can see, but just to, to be able to see both, to be able to see, the, the recognize the goodness, enjoy, appreciate, be uplifted by that. And in oneself, you know, we can see the failing, the falling, the losing it, the falling asleep, the not feeling very good, the stupid remark. But seeing the refraining from, the letting go of, the right effort, the uh, not acting upon, and really appreciating, getting a sense of reverence for that, being uplifted by that. Well, those are so. Those kind of quite useful pathways to make for for one's uh, reflection. So we, with that, we do we are able to sustain a kind of uh, a place of well-being. One doesn't feel frustrated and exasperated and depressed. We have come to a place of balance and pekar. This is good, this is bad. You see them both. And one is not um, discounting or fascinated by those things. This is karma. Good karma, 
This is bad karma. In oneself and in others. You know, Pekal is really the place of, of great well-being. In worldly terms, equanimity sounds pretty lukewarm. Actually, it's, it's, it's so huge, equanimity. There's a different kind of value system. You know, one can have incredible moments of sensual ecstasy. But you don't, you know, it's like an intensity rather than an extent. Whereas something like equanimity, in terms of intensity, is quite light. In terms of extent, it's vast. To be able to hold the entire world in the mind of people hacking each other apart and people uh, giving all they can all, they, all, they, all the goodness of their hearts people lying and cheating and people desperately concerned to completely purify their actions and do hold it both without you know, losing balance this is karma and we don't know I don't know about anybody else's but uh, one can't. One can think about others. One can infer, one can imagine, one can interpret. But all you really can feel is you know, one's, one's own tendency to create this stuff. And uh, one's, uh, perhaps one's ability, or the place that's there when we stop doing that. The, the vast sphere of release that's there when, whenever we see it as it is and refrain from um, you know, creating all these complexities of thought and moods around it. Karma and the end of karma, the Buddha's teaching. And for to, to end it, you actually have to have a place. It's not just an idea, but a real, like a sphere of release, a sphere of release, like a, almost like a, a home or a tangible place. And these Brahma Viharas are considered to be the place of release from ill will, release from cruelty or harshness, release from um, jealousy, depression, release from uh, ups and downs. So they they are considered to be gates, gateways, paths to the deathless. And when, when one contemplates such a place, then what takes you through that threshold, these are doors, is to recognize one hasn't attained anything. It's not as if now I am somewhere. It's not mine, it's not an attainment. It's just like, it's like, where else have you been? (laughs) It's like anatta, so that even that that kind of hook karmic hook, which is where so much of it begins in taking any of this personally, is that where the first movement of karma comes in that. And then having done that, then now I am this, I'm going to make that, and now I see this, and now I see, you know, you aren't, or she is, or he isn't, and then the whole thing starts. Mm-hmm.